You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. The Cyclone Fanatic Podcast is fueled by Cody Rhodes. Recorded in the Wild Rose Casino and Hotel Studio. Kick it! <laughs> Welcome into Kicking It. Um, we, we were we were planning on just going Super Bowl uh, and kind of like sort of touching on the Iowa State Baylor game uh, and we're recording this on Monday so whatever happens between Monday and release date on Wednesday you know because I think Kansas goes to Kansas State we all know what we hope to happen there uh but we were planning on sort of like focusing on the Super Bowl but that was the most bananas basketball game I can remember watching and I didn't get motion sick surprisingly but pretty close I was so, like almost used to the camera by the time <laughs> the game was over uh so Grant Mahoney Welcome in to uh, to kicking it, which what just happened? Yeah, that was wild, man. Um, the the whole clock. I mean, just there's so many. Like, what was that? What, yeah, what what was that? Do you I, guys, I, I don't understand the technicals. I don't understand why they didn't have more time on the clock at the end of the game. But then they should have had less time on the clock. Like, do you? Uh, it, I don't know what why this came to mind. Well, I know why this came to mind. Do you remember Stefan from Saturday Night Live? Uh, I'm not sure I do. Stephon. New York's New York's, New York's hottest, club hottest club is club. the Foster Center. We've got everything: twenty to zero runs, bad refereeing, three technicals, a bench technical, extra time, no time, twenty to zero runs. We've got everything. Made shot, no good. Made shot. Made shot, no good. Made shot. It's terrific. No, I'll never, never <laughs> see that. So, Stefan. I'm sorry, Seth. Um, so that was, I was just thinking, like there was. At, at the point when when uh, Scott Drew got his second technical, I was like, I don't even care what happens. Like this is great. Like if you if you lose on the road, it's not really to the you know a top fifteen net team or top twenty net team, whatever they were. It's not really that bad on your resume. And if you win on the road, like it's straight up you know icing on the cake. It's great. Uh, so I mean, at that point, this is just watching it for fun's sake. Uh, I should say we are brought to you by Calderman Manufacturing. We got we went Saturday Night Live reference. We talked about. Uh, Kansas, Kansas State before we actually got there. So thank you to Calderman Manufacturing for dealing with us. Um, but yeah, like the, I, I was watching that game with the volume on low because we had put our daughter to bed and the TV in our living room is on the wall that separates our master bedroom and the living room. And so that any, like if it's really loud, you can kind of hear it in the bedroom. We want to keep her to bed and she's still in our room for, for now. And so we're watching it on like, 10 volume like the, when you were normally like that room holds like 25 volume so you can't really hear all that well what's going on and so drew gets his first technical and i was like the hell was that for and then he gets a second technical I was like what okay what was that for and then the bench technical I was like i okay what's happening because is there any description does anybody know what was going on and uh iowa state won a 20-0 run and then somehow managed to lost lose that game it was uh, unbelievable. Yeah. And I was, I had surprised a buddy, uh, a buddy of mine. There's me and five guys went up to Wisconsin and surprised them this weekend. So we were all, um, at this like sports bar that had TVs, TVs on, uh, the games were on and but there was like a live band going. So I couldn't hear the Iowa state game. Um, so you're watching this in complete silence. Oh yeah. I mean, and just, How you know, just, just like on a rocking boat, <laughs> on a rocking ship in silence, dude, that camera angle brutal still, I, I kind of got used to it at the end of it, which I, I don't like. I mean, I mean well, the, like, what are you, 
But if you're trying to, you can tell that even the production crew doesn't really like it because at any chance they possibly can, they cut away from that angle. Like yeah. they, they get to like a side shot or like something that's in like the crowd because they'll kind of position some in the little pavilion or like a, uh, like on the floor. They'll get away from that shot as as quickly as you can it is disorienting. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I was texting you guys cause I was like, what? I was like, what's that tech for? Who's this tech on? Like, you know, I blame drum dang. Oh yeah. Lingering fart. We, we, because the, the lingering fart, which we talked about, uh, it, the farts still lingering. I, I, every it, coach since you played has gotten a technical. I, I think that's blame a drum tang. I mean, it's a little bit, I think selfs was just that he literally said that's bleep and bleep bleep like two inches away from an official. I think John Swanson got in his head. John Swanson got in his head. Uh, thanks John. Um, but, I think legitimately, I think at least two of the technicals that were called on the Baylor bench were like ideological children of the Jerome Tang incident. So it's like the gift that keeps on giving because the logistics of any officiating crew. So first off, I think, and I don't know, I haven't listened to Williams and Bloom, this, which I think anything that goes on to officiating, I want to listen to Brent. I just haven't yet. Um, but one thing that is true about officials, well, a couple things. The first thing is that it's not conference delineated in basketball. It's more regional versus in football. There's whatever, eight crews, however many they're going to end up having when there's 16 teams. So yeah, there'll be eight crews, maybe nine if they have a bonus uh, that are going to call all big 12 games and they stay in conference for football. For basketball, it's not the case. We're like Hollywood Higgins, Higgins, when he was calling games, he lives in Omaha. So he's calling Nebraska games, Iowa State games and Minnesota games and Missouri games and just kind of anywhere with like a reasonable drive. And then when there's high level games, then they're going to fly the best or highly rated officials to wherever that game. So he might call, uh, you know, whatever UCLA versus Oregon he, because he, they want to get a good crew out there, but otherwise they're more or less just going to stay close. So those guys are just from Texas. They're not big 12 refs. So like the Baylor, uh, AD going, we can get the best players. We have the best coaches. We have the best conference and, but we can't get through best officials. Well, no shit. Dumb, dumb. It's not, you're in the athletic director. There, there isn't conference related officials. It's just, it's anyway. So the second thing that's true about officials, uh, which is relates to Jerome Tang is the fact that officials every week from whatever governing body, whether it's the NCAA or in football, it's the conferences, they send tape to the officials of other officials of other instances that have happened to try and get rid of things. So if you, every once in a while you're watching a game and you're like, man, feels like there's a lot of hand check fouls getting called. And then you watch another game that follows that game immediately. And you're like, man, feels like there's a lot of hand check fouls. It's because probably that week, the head office sent out to all the officials that said, uh, get teams are getting away with a lot of hands, uh, hands, handsy defense, uh, try to try to rein that back in, communicate with the coaches, whatever. So they get all this information as to what they're going to be doing. So you know what Scott Drew's technicals were for? Probably something that they saw when Jerome Tang came over and tapped TJ on the shoulder and said, hey, someone in the crowd is recording me. Yeah, so Jerome Tang not just leaves lingering the fart. coaching box. You can't leave lingering that lingering lingering <laughs> So he walked out of the coach's box. Like, wait, just not, he didn't even like sort of leave the box. Left a lot. No hesitation box. either. So I'm going to stroll over here. Yep. And so if you're an official or you're the governing body of officials, you bet your ass that tape is going to be in there to say, you need to enforce that coaches stay in their coaching box because of what happened last week in Ames with Kansas State's coach. The two technicals that were on Scott Drew were because he left the coach's box. Yeah. Not because of he said anything. He's Scott Drew. He's like an outstandingly nice person. The first one was pretty warranted. He was like four feet on the court. He was playing good defense on uh, like at three-point line. The second one, he was just a little bit outside, but he'd already been warned for a technical before of coach stay in the coach's box. And that's an automatic T once, and, and once you've been warned. Ba yeah, basically out. like they'd, and now I, I think that was still ticky tack and Iowa state got the beneficial, like was beneficial. I still don't know what happened in the third one, but the point remains the fact that conferences uh, or the coaches, excuse me, the referees from the conferences from the NCAA are, were now incentivized or recommended to keep coaches in the coach's box because of what Jerome Tang did. So Jerome Tang has now allowed Iowa state on technicals to shoot several free throws and get possession back in critical moments of the game. So like this stupid instance, which Kansas state has still not apologized for or addressed is still lingering in there and benefiting Iowa state. And they still have not won since they accused Iowa state of cheating. So did you guys see him compare himself to Bruce Willis in Die Hard? Oh my God. No, I missed that. Please. After they lost, I'll pull up the clip. Hold on. There's, you can't compare yourself. 
So not only is this guy lingering, Farby is also just, I don't know. I'm starting to think that, you know, that sword he had, he's not as sharp as that sword. He's probably a little dull. So Jerome Tang's just like really gone downhill for me these last probably three, four weeks. <sighs> just, and, and you know, it's, it's not even necessarily like a Jerome Tang thing. Whoever the coach would have done that. I'm sure the refs saw what Jerome Tang did and he should have gotten a technical, but he went over and tapped TJ. Yeah. And, and didn't. Did. And I'm again, I'm guessing that's why yeah. you saw more of them to get the coaches yes. back in the box. But also TJ does a good, a good job of keeping his cool throughout the game. He's not blowing a gasket. Whereas Bill Self, he he's been around. He he can do that and get away with it sometimes. But I think at some point, you know, the co- the, the ref is like, "You're you know getting too loud, getting too rowdy." Aiden, what what do we got? So this was already on Williams and Bloom on Monday. So if you've seen this, I apologize, but for you guys need context here. It it's unbelievable. Um, losing is not fun. All right, anytime you lose, right? It doesn't matter if it was we had won 10 in a row and then lost one. It, it doesn't matter. And like, this is our movie, right? We, we choose, we can choose to be victims or we can choose to be stars. We're going to choose to be stars in this movie. We're going to be the one to determine how it turns out, not uh, somebody else or, or the narrative or the obstacles that are in our way. Right. Die Hard wouldn't be great if Bruce Willis got killed in the first scene. Right. When he, oh, why me? No shoes. Right. He gets killed movie wouldn't have been a great movie he chose not to be a victim we're gonna choose not to be a victim um losing is not i mean the script is the script writers the script script writers chose that i don't don't think he really has much control over whether they win or lose they're just i mean they're borderline booty cheeks right now apparently not quite they're not quite there yet but i mean they did just lose (laughs) to oklahoma state who in Stillwater. Yeah. I mean, it's at least better they lost on the road. But yeah, again, between recording this and then, we don't need to spend any more airtime on Kansas State because of how bonkers that Baylor game was. Yeah. But just, I wanted to like connect the dots between the fact that yeah. coach leaves the coach's box in a very public game, a very public way. Uh, nothing gets addressed by it. The officials for sure get a, a little talking to to say, hey, keep everybody in the box. And then Iowa State gets the beneficiary or is the beneficiary of having coaches leave the box and get a technical. Like, again, I, I think the second was probably ticky-tack, and I have, still have no idea what happened on the third. I, I think somebody in the crowd said something, maybe, and the, and the official thought that it was one of the coaches, but I don't, I, I don't know what happened. But anyway, like, that, it's like a direct descendant of the fact that, like, I don't know, it, it, to, it proves to me again, again and again and again and again and again, when coaches scream at officials, it I cannot rationalize that in my head. It it is such a stupid, immature move. And again, you can get mad, and like Matt Campbell does it, so it's not saying like you are stupid if you do it. But like to not be able to hold emotions in check, like TJ does, or like uh, I mean, if you look at other, like John Wooden, I imagine John Wooden not screaming at the officials a lot in the '80s when he won, they won a zillion different titles in the '70s. Uh, but if if you can control your emotions. And like when you, when it cuts and Scott Drew generally does, he like he's, he stayed, he just got outside the box. But like, if something's going wrong and you disagree with the call and someone, the, the, if you're the official, you make a call and instead of going, Grant, God, let it go, God, and just screaming, what if I just went up to you and said, Grant, I think my guy had his, had position. Uh, what did you see? I think that's what, that's how TJ approaches and it. If, and if you then said, nah, his foot was on the line. And if you say, I didn't see that, but got it. And then just, that's it. And you just left. And that you just left it there. It's a respectable conversation there. Yeah. It's not, it's and, not MF and, you know, right. the ref or whatever. Bite your, I mean, grit, grit your tooth as hard as you want to. If you think that guy's a total jackass and he's completely wrong, grit your teeth, whatever. But don't say anything back. Like the more you scream at someone, the less inclined they are to give you the benefit of the doubt on whatever thing. And are, you, like, are you saying don't be like Fran McCaffrey? <laughs> again, why are you giving airtime to Iowa and Kansas State? We just, just don't need I'm to. I'm just trying to just stir the pot. Them. Just yeah stir in the pot um but no like uh like taking that i don't know if there's anything like taking that aside it's just another one of those lessons of like the drone tang instant leaves children to the continue to get be the beneficial or beneficiary beneficial to iowa state uh but then also the keeping your cool and treating every moment like you've already been there uh that is also another beneficial so outside of that Still good basketball that happened. Yeah, it was. And I would say, you know, watching it on mute, all I could see was the gameplay. I couldn't tell really what was going on or calls being called until I saw the ref put their hand up. But that zone that Baylor had, the Baylor was in, had Iowa State, um, they were struggling. They are struggling to, uh, you know, do anything in the zone. They weren't finding the soft spots. At least for the, but that was just for like the first two thirds of the first half. Yeah. Yeah. But then, then they kind of figured it out. And 
Um, you know, thank God Keyshawn was making shots because no one else was, but he, he was the only one. He was five for six from three and no one else made a three. Iowa State was five of 14 from three. The biggest thing, and I know I've said it before, Iowa State's going to go to the Elite Eight and I still believe they will. But I think if they if they don't, a, a reason why they could get bounced in the first round or not make it to the, to the Elite Eight is their free throw shooting. I mean, you, that, yeah. you, you, you can't go 19 of 32. They shot 32 free throws. and they went, Which is wild. Yeah, they went 19 of 32, 59%. That's horrible. Well, and to be fair, a lot of those were Rob Jones, which not great. I mean, his, his free throw percentage Rob is somewhere, four, four for 10. Yeah, somewhere around 50%. He has gotten better this year, though. I'm surprised how, how much better he has gotten. But, but it's still like 10 of those 32 were Robert Jones. So six of those misses were of a guy who's a, a 50-50 free throw shooter. Yeah. Yeah. And for, for me, I'm just... um. You know, Lipsy has really improved his three-point shooting, but his his free throws are, are stuck on. So sixty-something percent. Yeah, something like that. Um, but man, I I'm not trying to dog on Keyshawn, but that turnover he had in like the last minute of the game, I was like, dang it, man! I've seen this too often. We dribble into it and you toss it away, and for as great of a game as he had, I would say could have could have pulled could have pulled out a victory there. Obviously, if they had point two more seconds left on the clock, they could have. But, um just an odd game. Yeah. And, and I think, so one of the things that this is generally, I try and watch things sort of like I, I said it before, like an alien from space, you know, obviously I I'm rooting for Iowa state. I went to Iowa state We're, we're cyclone fanatic, the better they do, the better we do. I mean, it sort of makes everybody happy. Uh, but when you watch it from, uh, when something doesn't go your way, rather than being like, this sucks, we're burning all down. Like saying, okay, what happened? Is it possible to take positives from this? Acknowledge the negative things that happened. And it's positive. What positive things can exist there? So the two positive things that come to mind amongst the negatives were in the first half, that was really the first time that Iowa State had seen a competent zone defense. And it's 1-3-1, which is a pretty unique way of doing it. And um, Baylor has done that since, I mean, for a long time. I, I forget who's the guy, and I don't mean to be coarse here, the guy that had one eye. Um, Isaiah Austin. Isaiah Austin. So he, like, since that time, when you have a seven-foot-one super athletic big you just funnel everything to that guy. You're really aggressive out on the ball. So like uh, that defense, that one, three, one Baylor's really good at it. They've run that for a long time, but that's the first time that Iowa state's really seen consistent, competent zone defense all year. This is game. What? 19, 20, something like that. And they haven't really needed to face that or they haven't really faced that. So haven't really needed to crack that nut and see how you do it. So in the first part of the first half, even let's say the whole first half, they make a second half adjustment. And I thought the broadcast team, and you didn't really get to hear it because the broadcast, you were, you're at a bar, but the broadcast did a pretty good job. And I really liked the color, the analyst for that. And the, the play by play is pretty good too. So like, it was a good, I thought it was a good broadcast team, but they were talking about the adjustment that Iowa state made is back in our day when, when Fred was there and it was the Niang and, and Monte and whatever is they put Monte at that kind of decision-making at the free throw line right behind where the guards are, right in front of the, where the forwards are, wait for somebody to close in, and then he's going to distribute and sort the ball to wherever it needs to go. Well, the best, he is a, George is a terrific passer. And even like George Condit in a, a couple of years ago was sort of that, where he was just big, can kind of see over everything. It's what Hunter Dickinson does this year for Kansas. Well, Iowa State doesn't have a big that's that good at passing, but they do have Tame and Lipsy who's tough as nails. So what they did is they had uh, Keyshawn or Curtis Jones bring the ball up, and they would have Taman be the guy that's the free throw line to sort through wherever the zone is going to be. Baylor had to basically get out of the zone in the two or three minutes into the second half because Iowa State was carving it up because Taman was able to crack the nut of how you're going to do that. So next time they play a team that is an effective zone team, they're going to, they're not, it's not going to take them an entire half to make that adjustment or understand what to do. They're going to go, they'll see zone, even if it's just, alternating possessions Taman's taking the ball up the court it looks like it's a matchup and then all of a sudden oh settles back into zone Taman kicks it over to Keyshawn takes his place the free throw line they find an entry pass get it to Taman kick it around Hassan goes in for a dunk like that type of offense is now possible because they saw that and made that adjustment so like the zone was the zone was suffocating to start but Iowa State figured it out, and now they have that in their repertoire going for the back half of the year. And that, that's kind of what I was going to say too—a a positive that you know, I would like—I would rather Iowa State face face a zone, full, face a full court press, face as many different things as you can now. And if you know Iowa State goes 500 in in league, they're still going to be in the tournament. So do what face whatever you need to do and figure that out now. Prepare yourself for the tournament because they're, they're going to be in. Yeah. And I would rather yeah have them face a, a zone, struggle with it, learn from it. 
and lose by two on the road to a top 15 team than to not see that until, you know, week two of, or week, you know, game two of, of, of March Madness. Well, and I think the other positive, so like the, the first positive amongst the negatives, the zone was hard, but they cracked the nut on the zone and they were able to figure that out for the back half. And the second one was that as bad as, so like as, as frustrating as that last turnover was for Keyshawn, and I guarantee you, like, Keyshawn's a great dude. Like I've, I, I mean, Aiden, have you interacted much with Keyshawn? Because my, inter- I've only had like a couple, not, yeah. met him a couple times. Fantastic kid. Like, in, super interested in whatever conversation you want to talk about. Like, he's a great guy. However bad you feel about it, he feels worse. Oh, sure, guaranteed. And so, as as frustrating as that turnover was, if you take that back to like the Texas A and M game a month and a half ago. It was so much worse. The game was so much faster for him. And so now he's like, now he's processing and understanding where to go, understanding how to work angles. There were a couple layups that he hit, like driving to the basket once they got him isolated on a big that were just dirty. And now in those pressure situations, I think in his head, he's still thinking that I can make this play. I can make this play. I can make this play. When you watch guys and Iowa State's had the benefit of really good point guards for a long time that you watch a Tyrese or a Monte or a Taman that in those situations, those crunch time situations, you're it's, it's different. Like you're not, you you have to take everything. You have to be really sure of where everything's going to be when this happens in the future. And whether Taman's in foul trouble or maybe uh Keyshawn's been hot. So they do want him to have the ball and it's a crunch time situation and you're playing, I don't know, BYU at home or something like that. And you need a basket. You need a possession. Keyshawn would have been through this experience of being too freewheeling and knowing where to dial it back. So he's going to be better going forward. And he's already progressed a ton. So like, yeah, they lost. And it's not awesome to have that really, really bad turnover. But like, you've if, if history is any indicator of the future, his improvement from this is going to also be really impressive. He, he's still pretty um, young to basketball pretty, too. Pretty green. Yeah, he is. And so he, he's made a lot of big improvement. And he's just, he's been killing these last four or five games. Um, but that's kind of, that kind of goes back to kind of what you're saying, you know, th- with the zone piece of it is that he's going to, that's a learning lesson. So I would rather him, yeah, make, make the turnover now, learn from it and don't do that, you know, uh, game two of, of, of the big tournament. Yeah. I, another thing that was just cool, what, I mean, it did, the shot didn't count, but having, so it, there's been two instances where Iowa State's needed really three. Cause there was one, I think it was, uh, it was one of the, the games in Orlando I don't remember which one, but Milan was the one that was taking the shot. And it was a three-pointer they had out in front of the key, and he, I, he bricked it. But I don't remember which game that was. But there's really been three instances where they've needed a shot at the end of the game. Houston, that one in Orlando, which I'm forgetting, and Baylor. They've gone to Milan every single time. And he's made two of them. One of them just happened to be late. You know, like, it, it didn't count. Milan, I, I imagine when, when, when and I, I tweeted this out, when after the, the Houston game, when Milan was going to classes the next day, you ever seen that uh, that South Park gif of uh, of Randy? Stay- it was wheelbarrow and his balls around. Yeah, and we're just bouncing on it, <laughs> bouncing on his ball. No, that's Milan going to class. The dude's got his Mondo Evos that, you know, yeah. When crunch time, he's coming through. And to to not only yeah, Houston it worked. This game it worked too. Obviously, it was half second, you know, whatever, too late. But the fact that they're going to him and he's making them. Yeah, dude's got ice water in his veins. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's like having having the capacity, and that's what st- guys like Bill Self are so good at getting these kind of set plays, these crunch time situations. We need a clean look. How do we get our guy the ball? And option one, option two, option three. And this feels like Milan is option one. And getting him the ball and finding a way to get there, he's a 6'8", 6'9", high-release shooter. So not only does he have that... He's crafty. He's crafty and he can can hit fades. Not only does he have the Dirk fadeaway, but he's able to get... like I think the reason why they went to him instead of... Keyshawn is probably the better guy to take that shot if you're looking at shooting percentages because he's he was five for six from three. Nobody else made one. So why would you not give it to the guy who's made five out of six? That's because he's six three versus six nine. Well, Milan's going to shoot that over anybody. So it doesn't matter who you get the ball to. He's going to get the shot off. And so then you're just relying on shooting percentage as opposed to possible block or tip shot or whatever for a shorter player. So you have this like end of game kind of closer guy in Milan who's able to do the things that you need at the end of the game, which at some point in either the big 12s or 
the NCAA tournament, you're going to need one of those shots. Like back in the LSU, the, the sweet 16 year, a couple of years ago, like Tyrese Hunter knocking one down from 40 feet away, you're going to need that shot somewhere. And Milan has kind of got the capacity to do that. So I don't know. There's a lot of positives to take. And like, I don't know, even though the, if it was absurdly poorly officiated at the end of that game, you can't really be that mad. One, because Iowa State got more time than they should have. Two, they got a better spot than they should have, so that ball should have come in from the baseline. Uh, but even if you miss that shot by half a second, like, all right, okay, we can hang with Baylor at Baylor, even despite all that weirdness. We're good. Yeah, no, I'm I'm, I'm fine with it. Um, speaking of Tyrese Hunter, though, Iowa State plays at Texas on Tuesday. Um, do you know when the last time Iowa State won in Austin? Boy, is this a... Is this a Fred situation? This is like 2012. Not quite that far. Okay. This might be Steve. 2017? Further back. 16? 15. 15. 2015. The last time they won in Austin? Who was yeah. on that team? Um, That's like George's... The, the Niang senior, senior year? year? Yeah. I'll look that up. Because this was, sure six, was a 16 team? George's, George and Naz's senior I think year. 16 was George's senior year. But even, even those guys, I think even those guys might have gone like one for three at Austin. And they, they've got a new, you know, these played the, at the Frank Irwin Center. They've bulldozed that and they've Wait, since built the, the Moody. This is UAV team, isn't it? God damn it. 2014-15. Oh, wow, Aiden. God damn it, Aiden. Yeah, it is. It's the redacted team. So, yeah, that, that's the last time. So, I mean, Texas has been up and down this year. I think it's a very winnable game for Iowa State, but it's... For some reason, Austin has, but it, T, TJ is winless in Austin. Again, taking over, it's only the only minute for three this, years. This is going to come out Wednesday. This game's already happened. You're probably yelling at the radio, at the radio, yelling at your phone, saying like, "Idiots, that's already happened." Uh, but one of the things that's interesting is like the Tim Floyd standings. Like, you want to win on the road, but you don't need to, especially with how good this conference is. The the winner of this conference is going to have five five or six losses at least. You know, because Houston this weekend just got worked in Lawrence absolutely worked however kansas did shoot like 70 percent, so they shot unreal that's that's but true they, but they did get but they yeah. also got a lot of open looks you they know did. like they shot really well with open looks it wasn't like they were just you know banking in shots at the very end of the game so so listeners are probably listening to this on wednesday and they're thinking how does grant know that iowa state won this game 77 to 72 i don't know <laughs> do you want to see who was on that 2014-15 roster give it to us it's kind of an all-star roster oh god we got Jamil McKay. So okay. Jamil McKay. You got Nader. Clayton Abdel Custer. Clayton Custer. Ooh. Abdel, NBA player, Abdul Nader. Uh, Clayton Custer. Clayton Custer, now an assistant at OU, I think. Uh, Hallis, Hallis Cook. Didn't he end up playing at like three different places? Yeah, I think so. Uh, Stenslin. Sten, he was a walk-on. Monte. Monte, sophomore year. Cortland Jackson. Transferred. Uh, John Jones was a dog. Rest in peace. Man, dude, tough as nails. Naslong. Matt uh, Thomas, Matt Thomas, Dustin, Dustin Hogue, Hogue. Matty Ice, Deontay yeah. Burton. Oh my I think, God! I think Deontay and Burton George. was eligible this yeah, year. Yeah, because I don't. They never played together. Because Dustin yeah. Hogue and Deontay Burton are the same person. With Deontay Burton as bigger biceps. And then yeah, that was Niang's okay. junior year. Yeah, Niang, and then Yorgos Jamboris. Oh, oh yeah, my yeah. God! <laughs> I remember Yorgos. What a roster! Uh, Daniel Adozi, uh, Fred. We got Bagman, Matt Abdamasi. <sighs> no TJ though. Okay. TJ Boy. must have been at. He was at South Dakota State yeah. at that point, I think. Yeah, good roster. Boy, um, that happened. Yeah, sure did. Um, this is a very winnable game for Iowa State, though. And obviously, the game's already over by the time people listen to this. But um, Tyrese Hunter, not trying to dog on him, but I'm not sure it was in his best interest to go to Texas. He hasn't quite had the the the, the career there, I think, that he was hoping for. But I am glad that he is because Lipsy is my guy. Yeah, well, so this is actually an interesting, sort of an interesting conversation. And I think from Iowa State's perspective, um, it's easier to say haha this doesn't work because there have been more examples of people transferring the power five to power five transfer is rarely as successful as i think people think it's going to be there are certain times like a dylan gabriel because he went from ucf to oklahoma and that worked but that was at that point that and was not, kind of an upward, oregon that was an upper transfer now he's going to oregon i imagine it's going to still be pretty good but it's not going to be like he's not going to elevate himself but then you look at the, the from a basketball perspective the big 12 or the, the power five to power five transfers, unless you're a guy like Hunter Dickinson, who, I mean, I guess Hunter Dickinson and uh, Kevin McCuller are kind of guys that are, that have succeeded, but going to Kansas. But if you look at the guys, guys and gals, because like uh, Donarski and then uh, Danae Fritz, who transferred out of Iowa state and then Tyrese Hunter, who transferred out from Iowa state, who were studs at Iowa state. I would say Donarski is really the only one that's 
elevated her kind of her position from where she was. The other two, Fritz, I don't think like even playing. No, it was like two minutes a game. Yeah. And so a kind of a downgrade of opportunity when you leave. So it's one of the grass is greener on the other side situations. And uh, my pocket's greener. Your, your pocket's greener. I mean, in some situations also, not, I'm not trying to knock anybody. No. If, if you can, you can secure the bag and depending on your situation, I mean, awesome. Go for yeah. it. But I think, and also you look, I think the easy example also from a football standpoint is like the Aishim Young and Craig McDonald back in the day when they went to, I think it's Ole Miss and Auburn respectively. And neither one of them is, has contributed at all think, when they left. Craig transferred back to Minnesota. And so you have, if you're successful in a spot, like this sort of comes back to the Brock Purdy conversation too. If you're successful in a spot, if you're a, a transcendent talent, like Hunter Dickinson, dude is legit. Great. You also have a situation that's there. That's beneficial to you to enable you to have that success. So I think one of the things that people, and obviously 18 to 22 year olds, men and women who are athletes uh, are self-confident people. And so we all think that we're, the best to ever do it and are deserving of all the success and whatever. But if you're having success, this isn't necessarily like just talking to Iowa state athletes or just hung to whomever. If you're having success at one place, it's probably in a, from a success standpoint, better to stay there unless you can walk into a situation that is equally set up for success. So maybe your offensive coordinator that you had at, you know, Iowa state or Kansas state or whatever. Like if somebody went from Kansas to Penn state with Andy Kotelnicki for their offensive coordinator, great. Like they're, you're going to probably be successful because you, they understand how to use you and your personality and stuff like that. But like a lot of the transfers from power five to power five, I would like to see the statistics on total minutes played. And I would imagine that it goes down when they leave one place to the next. And this is again, anecdotal. So I'm not, I can't say that it's absolutely factually true, but I would guess that, it, it is more downgrades than upgrades. I'll be curious to see how all of the, I mean, you speak about, you know, you talk about the guy, um, I'm blanking on his name, the guy that went from Washington, who's now the Alabama head coach. And they had a DeBoer. lot of, yeah. And, and they, Washington lost like a ton of guys, but there's a handful of guys that went to Alabama who were good at Washington. So I'm, I'm curious to see how that translates to the SEC and how, you know, Alabama's got just dudes. So I'm, I'm curious to see if those guys play and how they do and, yeah, it's interesting. It's you know the the transfer portal nil is a it's it's a wild wild west, man. Yeah. It's an, an an interesting time. There's one other thing, before, and, and we're I mean, we can talk about the Super Bowl if we want. But um, one of the things that I thought was interesting. Have you seen any of like the Big Ten SEC news <sighs> I did at see all? That. So um, it reminds me of that. What is it? Uh, the guy in the hot dog suit being like. We're all looking to find out who did this. Oh, yeah, I thought you were I, I think you should leave. Yeah. Tim Robinson. Yeah, yeah, Tim Robinson. Oh, I thought like, you were going to say... We're all trying to figure out who... We're all trying to figure out who did this. I thought you were going to say a guy in the hot dog suit. Ask me about my winners. <laughs> Ask me about my winners. Um, but with the Big Ten and the SEC, I, don't, I didn't necessarily read like super deep into it, but essentially they're forming a, an alliance and a committee to look at what the problems with the NCAA are. Right? Like Aiden, troop-ish, we're about there. Yeah, I don't fully understand it, so, so you might know more than I do. It's going to be li- the live of NCAA. But also, this seems like, you know, the Big Ten, what was it, Big Ten, ACC, Pac-12 had their alliance. The alliance, yeah. Uh, the other thing, there's way too much money at this point to really be worried about it because contracts can't just get ripped up, you know? Like, evidence, case in point, it's Oklahoma and Texas wanting to leave the Big 12 for the SEC. Their contracted value or their contract said that the big 12 held their grant of rights until this next coming season. You want to get out of it? You pay us X dollars contract. You signed it tough. You want to get out of it? Pay a hundred million dollars a piece done. So there are clauses that are holding this thing together and the difficulty. And I imagine what they're probably looking at. And I, so I don't have a lot of fear that this thing's going to completely explode like a, you know, a rocket ship on landing. But I do think that there's probably something down the road that they're going to have to have conversations with about when these certain rights expire, because I don't know how, when the big tens rights are going to expire again, because they just renegotiated them with the addition of all these different ones. The sec has this grant of earth has the grant of rights. Big 12s are through what? 2034 or something like that. I, I don't remember the exact date, 2027. I don't remember when, when those are up, but all of these different conferences and schools, their grant of rights negotiations or the grant of rights contracts are up at different times. And so as a refresher, what grant of rights means is that if I'm a university and you're the conference, 
I have to give you the, the ability to broadcast my games. I can't do that anymore. I can't broadcast my own games. You get to. That's what the grant of rights. I am granting you the rights to my game. If I then leave your conference, you still have my grant of rights. So in order to buy back the ability to broadcast my own games, I have to buy them back from you. So like, what about the, the, like the Longhorn Network? The Longhorn Network, I mean, that there are certain amount of games and programming that you can put on there, which is like one game a year, just like third tier rights that you get a certain amount of games or content that is able to be there, but they can't show football games on the Longhorn Network if it's shown on Fox. They can't simulcast those. So you have like one game a year you can put a Longhorn Network. Like, that, that, does the Longhorn Network, does it stay with the Big 12 when Texas Longhorn leaves? Network's gone. Longhorn Network's gone. When yeah. they go to SEC That's Network, because it was it was start, it was was SEC backed, like the Big 10 Network is Fox backed. The, SEC, the Longhorn Network was ESPN backed. The SEC Network is also ESPN backed. There is no more Longhorn Network when they go. That's good. Uh, so, but like if, so let's say the SEC and the Big 10, they get together and they're like, we're going to leave now. All right. Okay. Well, who's broadcasting whose games? You have to renegotiate all those grants of rights because I guess maybe the conferences themselves could sort of do it, but there's contracts that you have to then get out of. So like the playoff contract, uh, the, in, the agreements with different bowl games, the agreements with different national broadcasts, like th these things all have to get undone. And it feels like m my guess on this is that they're not going to be like super league my guess is they're going to make recommendations and sort of like hardline the NCAA into saying, here are all the things that are wrong. Here are proposed solutions, fix them. And then I don't know what the hammer or what the stick is on the backside of that carrot, but I'm guessing that it's not like, perhaps this is Pollyanna of me, but I don't think this is like light the whole thing on fire. Big 12 is going to disappear forever. Um, because I think there's way too much right now that's tied together, at least until what is it? The, I think most of the rights mature sometime in the early 2030s. So I think at that point is when you really have to be, say, okay, at that point, is there something that's going to happen? Yeah, that, that's that's interesting. And it's, I don't, I don't know what's going to come of it because they are the two probably best for sure football leagues. Um, but basketball, they're not. I mean, the Big 12 runs in basketball, but football is what is the big revenue general. But I also think this is another um another thing that I I don't know I I I guess you can't so, I was thinking about this how you sort of test this theory. It's the transitive property of give a shit. Like we talked about this with Chris Felica when uh, when he was on and if I so we are all here if you're listening to this you're probably an Iowa State fan. Maybe you're hate listening to it from Manhattan or somewhere. Uh but if I'm an Iowa State fan the only real reason that I'm watching like Penn state versus Maryland on a Saturday is because they're in the same division that Iowa state is. And so it has some bearing on Iowa state in some way. Like I'm, we might play Maryland, uh, whatever. I don't watch South Dakota state football much until it gets to be the playoffs because it doesn't really have any bearing on Iowa state. So like South Dakota state versus Montana, that'd be a hell of a game, like great players, probably better than lower level, like, the bottom two teams from the big 10 versus those two teams. I bet those two teams would win. It's better football, yeah. but uh, it doesn't have any bearing on me. The max schools. I don't really, I mean, I'll sometimes watch on a Tuesday night, like a quarter while I'm cooking dinner. When I'm watching action Miami of Ohio versus Akron. Like I, I might watch those games, but it doesn't really have much of a bearing because it doesn't really have the same effect on Iowa state. So the transitive property of give a shit, the sec and the big 10, if they do enough market research, I would imagine that would bear true is that if you just then pluck your teams. So there's what, 18 in the Big Ten and 15, 16 in the SEC? So you got 34 teams. There used to be 112 or 118 in Division One. You're cutting 70% of all the schools out of the transitive property of give a shit. So why would I watch? I don't care about Vanderbilt in Florida yeah. at all. Not even a little bit. I will not tune into that at all. I'd barely even tune into like Alabama versus Auburn. I don't care. It's not the same as our division. So if the Big Ten and the SEC leave, the market share that they'd be predicting would not meet what their actually the reality would not meet their expectations because the people like I I would still watch the Big 12 is going to get cut apart. I mean, we talk about Kansas, we trash Kansas State basketball, but Kansas State football. I like Kansas State football. Nope. They, they feel similar to us. Not me. So let's say Kansas State football versus Iowa State football is the same weekend as Ohio State, Penn State. Which one are you watching? If if the Big Ten SEC have separated themselves in another yeah, one. Yeah, I mean, if I was State, I'm watching, I'm watching State. that one. Yeah. I'm not, I don't care if they're playing Kansas State or if they're playing 
whomever, but the the, the Kansas sisters school for <laughs> which depending on who you'd ask. But anyway, so like that, that if they separate all the schools from each other, you remove the magic of the thing and therefore it starts to fall flat. And so to me, I don't have a big fear of those schools leaving because their return would be kind of shitty in what they would be expecting. So I don't know. This is again, I, I think, and actually let me finish one thought before I get there. The reason why a possible way of testing this Oregon state and Washington state are now going to be joining the West coast conference. I was just going to ask you, like the big West. I was just going to ask if we knew what was going on with those two. So they're joint, they're scheduling. They're sort of still doing some big, like I think they schedule six power four or power five schools throughout the year, but they're still part of like the, the uh, mountain West conference. I would imagine if you look at the ABC or ESPN or Fox big noon or their primetime games in Corvallis from last year, and the year before, as compared to next year and the year after, they're in Corvallis and then in um, uh, where Washington, Pullman, Pullman, yeah, in Pullman. So if you look at the, just the markets of Corvallis and Pullman, I would imagine their participation in the national games is substantially less. Take that times all the eighty different markets that you're now removing from that top layer, and how much they're gonna, how much less they're gonna be. People will still watch; it's still football, but. I think that you drastically reduce the amount of people that are interested in your product by separating them. And I think that if they do enough market research, that will bear true. So I don't have this big fear that the Big Ten and the SEC are just going to break away and form their own thing. I don't think that it's financially feasible for them to do so. No, I agree. But I, I also, I am not worried at all about the Big 12 because I think that Brett Yormark is just, I think he's a, a genius. I think he has come in and just done everything that the Big 12 needs to do. And I think he has such a strong, obviously I haven't talked to him personally. I should text him though and just say, Hey, what's your, what's your five, 10 year, 20 year plan for the big 12? Because I'm sure he has that laid out and he knows the right strings to pull. He knows like behind the scenes and stuff going on because he comes from the entertainment industry. And um, I just, I, I'm, I'm confident that the big 12 is in, is in a good position, even if the SEC and the big 10 do some kind of alliance, but who knows, like Aiden said, maybe this, this comes to nothing like the ACC, Pac-12 and whoever else it was that, that did it. It's Big Ten. Yeah. Maybe it, I completely forgot about that. Like nothing came of that. So maybe nothing comes of this. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I got a quick, uh, while we're on the subject of the landscape of college athletics, are you, did you see what happened with Dartmouth basketball today? No. What happened? Uh, National Labor Relations Board regional official has decided that Dartmouth basketball players are employees of the school. Oh, oh shit. Oh, boy. the way for an election oh, that would create the first labor union for NCAA athletes. So long story short, uh, Dartmouth's, Dartmouth men's basketball team signed a position in September to unionize, basically. Oh, and so starting so next year. This was basically their way of blocking the union. Because if they unionize, then, then they have to uh, be... it would allow the players to negotiate salary. over not only salary, but yeah. also working conditions, including practice hours and travel. Wow. So, so naming them employees is freaking huge. So this is the, the university, Dartmouth University was then fighting that decision and it was now ruled the national labor the the national, national labor, relations labor relations board, board NLRB. They then ruled that Dartmouth basketball players are employees. Yep. What, so why the, just basketball? They, well, it's just that was the only case that was brought up. That was the only case. But that was also USC has an ongoing case in California. That they're trying huge. to get them. That is uh, huge. Oh my god, that's the, huge. USC wants their basketball and football players to be 
employees. Employees. Basically, so you could pay players through the university at that point. Well, and oh my God, there's so much that comes from this. Okay, so talking about Dartmouth players unionizing, I think we talked about this before. One of the big problems with NIL is that there's no contraparty to the 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 actual agreement that they're going to be made. So uh, if we if if the NCAA and the reason why all these like rules have been overturned is because the NCAA says do this and then the NCAA, people do it for a while, but then the other party says we never actually agreed to this. It's sort of like you your parents saying like you have to use a fork with your left hand always, and you're like. Your parents said that to you? Yeah, always. They was just I, they would hit me if I didn't. Oh, but like if they had this like weird rule with no justification as to what it's there, I never agreed to this. Now in the in the business world, you then have to have a, a an opposite side of that contract in order for this if it goes against um like fair trade policy uh or open business policy. If you if you do that and the other party doesn't have a, a contract on the other side of it, so like the salary cap it would be better for NFL players if there was no salary cap because they would just be able to negotiate as much as they want uh, and then get as much as they want. But they, the, so that is technically like an, uh, uh, it's blocking the rights of the, of, you know, being able to, to seek the highest compensation possible. So if you're the CEO at, you know, if you're Jamie Dimon and you're the CEO of whatever Goldman Sachs, you can make as much money as you want because it's free market, just capitalism, make whatever you want. But when you put a when you put a cap on that, that is sort of an unconstitutional thing is you should be able to earn more than that, which is sort of where the NCAA ran into problems where they capped compensation air quotes, like the value of the scholarship. Well, if there's a, in the NFL, there's a player's union who has agreed to the other side of this based on you have, there's a, a contract cap, but also you have to spend at least 90% of your cap. So you can't be a miser with, uh, you know, and say like, you're getting 30 bucks and you're getting $20 and you're getting 15 bucks and like no one's getting paid. So you have to pay. So you get a higher floor, but you get a lower ceiling if you're the players union. So that's, but the players union then agreed to this other side of the contract. So if you're the NCAA, there is no other side to this. So you can say whatever rule you want. And then all of a sudden, these other people say, that's a stupid rule. We never agreed to this. So there's no other party to this. So every rule the NCAA puts out that falls against the constitutional rules, uh, it's going to get thrown out, which is why they've just lost case after case after case after case. So the fact that players can now unionize. So with NIL rules, the reason why all these NIL rules have been tossed out is because you can't cap compensation and you can't force anyone to go anywhere because it's not constitutional. You can't do it. But if we have a contraparty to that to say, if we as the NCAA Players Union now agree that you can only have a one-time transfer and we agree to this and you agree to this, then it doesn't matter. That's just a personal to private relationship that you're signing a contract agreement so long as both parties have signed it and there's no like coercion into that. And I, I'm not an attorney, but like that's the best understanding that I have of that. So players being able to unionize at Dartmouth, that's huge because they then have like negotiating leverage, but also for the university and the conferences, you can start reining NIL in because you can then sign an agreement with those parties to say, all right, we have to disclose the amount of information that these contracts are worth. You can, uh, you can approach a, a player or a player's agent between August 1st and September 15th, but you cannot X here. And if you do, then it's tampering, which is this penalty. We all agree to these rules. We all plan by these rules. Great. Got it. So the, the fact that they can unionize and that their employees is a huge step for making NIL way less of a wild west boogeyman and way more of okay, this is fair. It feels like fair play. That that is absolutely huge. It's wild, and and there, there's just I've I've said you know before we everyone said it that the NIL and and, and the transfer portal is the wild wild west. That I, I feel like there's so many things that are just there's there's no uh, regulations or rules. Because it can't on, be. Yeah, and so like this this is huge. But then where, where my mind goes is okay, so you bring a guy in on scholarship, which you technically scholarships are not four year agreements, five year agreements. They're a year to year agreement. Mm -hmm. With with like the intention that it's sort of right. You, I don't if, think I don't yeah. think everyone knows that though. That, it, that yeah, it's, it's it's annual. You have to sign your contract every year. Yeah, or sign your and, scholarship every year. And so I guess where my mind goes is, you know, if they have X amount of scholarships and they bring in Joe Smith and and Joe just stinks, like all right, Joe, you're fired. Yeah, that's true. Because I mean, and then okay, and that would have because you could technically do that now. You just don't renew their scholarship, but that'd be a real dick move. I don't think any any coaches really do that. Yeah, but if you're an employee, then if you're not you know, 
if you're not performing. But then, you know, how would they have, could they have in their contract? You have, you have to average 10 points a game. You have to average five points a I'm game. Sure and if not, I'm sure they could. I'm sure they could. And there's uh, on the other wild. side, but that's why if there's a player's union, they look at that rule and go, that's horrible. Yeah, that's absolutely horrible. That is a stupid condition based on whatever, whatever. If you then terminate him, if you terminate an employee early, before this, you then have to buy, you know, pay a severance or whatever, a buyout to this contract or whatever. Uh, for the instances when that's going to happen, but you can then negotiate what that's going to be. So each party has it. The only downside to this is a player's association, which uh, in college, in the NFL, or the MLB, or the NHL, or the NBA, or whatever players union that you want to have, Tom Brady played till he was 45. He got in the league when he was 21, 22, 23 years. If I sit out a year because you, I want to strike because your rules are stupid, Big freaking deal. I've got 22 more of them that I can play. Now, granted, that's not always the case. And that's what like any given Sunday and the strike breakers and whatever. But in college, because there's an eligibility requirement of what, four, five years, if you redshirt six, if you got a COVID or an injury year, if you sit or out like medical or medical. Too. Yeah. So if you sit out a year, that's 25% of your capacity to play striking, which is really the only the union's only main lever against the ownership or the, the powers that be. That's kind of sucks. So like the you're not going to do that. You're not going to get a lot of people to buy into being like, yep, we'll set out a year. I only get four of them, but I'm sitting out one of them to maybe make it better for someone else who I don't know. That's true. So the difficulty with the players unions on that, on the other side of the agreement is that you need to have somebody that's sort of like a, the union is bigger than any person. So like you have a representative. So let's say, I don't know, Taman Lipsy or uh, Rocco Becht is the representative from the Iowa state football and basketball programs respectively but every year they then have uh, a new person that goes into that so like you can have i don't know without necessarily striking the players union can withhold certain something but like it's a representative to a bigger group which is not necessarily bound by the players but like that's a, a different nut they're gonna have to crack is because that's why, you know, you'll hear every once in a while the CBA, the collective bargaining agreement, which is just when those two parties, the owners and the players, whether it's MLB, NHL, uh, whatever, when they say, all right, what are we going to redo this contract? How are salary caps, playing conditions, practices, uniforms, rights, splits, all that kind of stuff gets discussed. And if it's not to the satisfaction of the players, they say, we're just not going to show up. And then if it's not at the satisfactory of the owners, they're going to say, all right, we're not going to pay you. Like, that's what the lever that each one has. So I don't know. That is fantastically interesting. And I think that's going to move fairly quickly between now and like a year or two from now. I would imagine there's going to be a lot of universities that look at that as case law to then say, this is what we're going to do. Yeah, it seems like it's been trending in that direction for the last two or three years, like kind of ever since NAL started, really. And for something to finally happen, it seems like it might snowball from here. That's huge. Yeah, you really threw a, a, a wrench in kind of our, our programming here, Aiden. Yeah. So the Super Bowl is happening? In the best way possible. But yeah, so yeah. let's talk about the Super Bowl. Um, I don't know. Yay, sports. Did you see um, that the, the, the Niners are upset about their practice facility? No. So so apparently they're supposed to, and I might butcher this, but it's apparently supposed they're, they're supposed to, like, wherever the, the, the teams are practicing. So are they the, practicing at Caesars Palace? The, yes. Okay. In the ballroom, uh, Chiefs are practicing at where the Raiders, um, like their practice facility, and the 49ers are practicing at UNLV's. They got a new whatever, and it's beautiful. It's great. Field looks great, but the problem is the NFL just laid down sod like six days ago on like where they're practicing, mm. and so they're they're upset because they're like, oh, like it feels like we're playing on a sponge, like we're stepping on a sponge, and there are like. Like the lines you can oh the seams between yeah, the seams yeah. yeah and so that like this is not safe yeah not safe <laughs> and like I guess every facility or, or practice field has to like it's like on a grading system and like you're supposed to be like at minimum like a seventy and the Chiefs have said that their field is like at an eighty and then the Forty ers believe that theirs is like like at a fifty oh boy yeah so they're like we're like we're not like making excuses here we're just just letting you know like you got, we're kind of getting the short end of the stick here we're playing on a sponge and. I wonder if they're going to let them play at the, like, if that is the case, if they're going to let them practice at the actual facility at Allegiant Stadium. I don't know, but it's, it's, it's weird to me that I understand that they want the field to be pristine, but why, why are you laying sod down like a week before they get out there? Like that, Ooh. that needs some, you need to get some roots there. You get to water that thing, lay it down like a month before. Uh, and that seems why, like, I'm going to, I'm going to come back to this and say, uh, I don't really know what's going to happen in the Super Bowl. I'm just rooting for football. Like I want Brock to do well. I want the 49ers to win. 
But like, and as much as I, you know, talk beef about the Chiefs, if they play really well and they deserve to win, good for them. Like, have fun. I I have no, I'm just hoping for a decent game. I don't want it to be like the the Seahawks Broncos in 2013 when it was like 55 to 13. Like that's, I just want to avoid that if we can. Um, I hope we're tied going in the fourth. Yeah, that. Something that makes it interesting. Um, and do I know what's going to happen? Nope. But if I do. the 49ers win, Brock Purdy's going to be the Super Bowl MVP, and that's cool. Uh, but the other thing, just complete random, just talking about field turf. Uh, you're, a, you're a big uh, international soccer guy, right? Uh, ish. I don't, ish, I don't follow, but I, if, if it's on, I like watching it. The fact that, did you see the World Cup? The finals of the World Cup is being played at MetLife in New York, which is where everybody tears their ACLs and Achilles. That's in 2026, right? Like that's two years from now. Are they going to completely scrap their turf field or they're just going to paper over it with turf because there's no way that you're going to bring in somebody like Lionel Messi or Kylian Mbappe and have them start to cut. (laughs) Well, one, FIFA, FIFA mandates that it has to be on grass. That's true. And two is if you just like roll turf out there, and then you have Kylian Mbappe trying to, you know, strike something like that dude's worth like billions of dollars. They have to. I don't it's, know what his contract is worth, but it's a lot. There's no way they can play on that surface or, or a shitty surface. I, I've got no basis to what I'm about to say, but I have to imagine that Aaron Rodgers, he's a big voice in the NFL. I have to imagine that he is probably really pushing for the Jets ownership to be like, get rid of this turf. Like well, the, so many people the, have gotten hurt. Talk about the players association, the players, the, the NFLPA has repeatedly tried to get that specific type of field turf out. I would be, um, I would be hard pressed to think that they don't switch maybe not for next year, but they should for this next football season. So they can kind of get a, a sense of how it plays and what the watering and insulation and whatever or, or irrigation, not insulation, ir, irrigation on the field. Uh, I would imagine they switch that before, you know, they actually get the world cup there. I, but I don't know that because something to monitor. We talked about this. I think the very first week, which is the economic value of someone like Aaron Rodgers tearing his, uh, his Achilles on that field. I, let's say it's $5 million to switch the playing surface. Rodgers tearing his Achilles or Odell Beckham tearing his ACL uh, or whatever, killing Mbappe popping an Achilles that economic loss to the city and to like New York, New Jersey is way more, way more than what it would cost to replace the field. So when you talk about like a cost benefit analysis, uh, the cost benefit analysis says change the goddamn turf. Plus, I don't know how you feel, but I always enjoyed playing on grass better. Same. Yeah. yeah. I, th- I think you're probably maybe a smidge slower on grass than you were turf, but I don't know. I enjoy it. Less I, stuff in your eyes. Yeah. Yeah, rubber sure, pellets yeah, in your eyes. Get tackled, yeah, and 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 kicking. You know, every time you you kick, you're going to get a little bit of turf, and you just kick that that uh, yeah, little little rubber, rubber tough rubber pellets up. Yeah, um, it's stuck and everywhere. If you're can you imagine in, in Columbia, Missouri, where they've got dude, the, the that, hashes oh, are like an inch oh. dipped in? That's you think they fixed that yet? Yeah, they had to have. Because so in, when you played in, at Mizzou, the the lines where the 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 hashes themselves and the lines were legit like an inch lower than the field surface. It was brutal. It was, you go out there and you practice, like you trip on the lines, like just yeah. jogging. You kind of get used to it once you're actually out there. Like you can't treat it like normal, but it's legit a half inch to an inch lower. At least when we were playing, it was, that was the worst field we played on. I would say, yeah, bar none. Um, you want to talk about Super Bowl anymore? I mean, I, I guess, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what to say. I mean, I, I, I hope that, I hope that, yeah, that the Niners win. Um, but what do, you, what do you think is going to happen? Not what do you hope happens? What do you think is going to happen? Hard of hearts. Um, I don't want to upset our fans. Um, Brock sometimes in big moments when he was at Iowa state didn't show up, but he has in the NFL. And so I'm hoping that he, that the Brock that has showed up his entire NFL career continues to show up and that the lights aren't too bright. Um, I say that, but you know, he won a Fiesta bowl for Iowa state. Um, what do I think is going to happen? Um, man, that's tough because the chiefs are rolling. The chiefs are rolling and the Niners have been, Strong for the for you know for the entire year really except for when you know Brock got, got concussed and, and the Browns kind of took him out of the game. But yeah, how do you go against you know how do you go against a, a, an organization who has won how many Super Bowls in the last we'll say two since, two out of four? Since, well, since Mahomes has been quarterback, but they've been there mm-hmm. four out of five. Yeah, so um, I mean Brock just continues to show that no nothing is too big for him. He he goes in and beats you know Brady, which obviously is not one versus one, but. 
I don't want my homers to, to, to kick in. I think the Niners are going to win. I think it'll be a close game. Um, but I think the Niners are going to win because I, I firmly believe if you stop, easier said than done, if you're able to slow down Travis Kelsey, make that, make the other guys around you beat you. Yeah. I, I, man, this is such an evenly matched game, which I really appreciate. I'm excited for. And the, the thing that I would expect to happen. So I think Kansas City is going to win because it's Kansas City. They have Andy Reid. They've got Patrick Mahomes. Their defense is really improved. Their defense was really good. Really, but I also have, I wouldn't, I'm not put, I mean, I don't really bet on anything anyway, but I'm not, I wouldn't put a dime on this game. Uh, but if Kansas City wins, what they're going to be able to do in order to do that is their pressures are going to affect Brock's rhythm. Whether they get interceptions or not, is it affects his rhythm because he's such a, I know where the ball is going. I'm going to get it out before the guy even gets into his break, let alone gets out of his break. We're going to, I'm going to throw it where George Kittle is going to wrap around a linebacker before he even knows that he's going to wrap around. I'm going to let that ball go. Like that's how Brock operates. If Kansas city is going to win, they're going to get Brock out of his rhythm. And if they do that, I think their offense is good enough at running the ball and taking some deep shots like MVS or to Rishi Rice or whomever, they're going to be able to do that. And they're going to be able to win the game based on that low scoring fist fight of a game. If the 49ers are going to win, Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw are going to beat up Travis Kelsey and shove them in a locker. Like it's not going to be that easy because Travis Kelsey is almost objectively the best tight end of all time. Uh, it's him and Rob Gronkowski and like Shannon Sharp are sort of like the guys you got to put up there. But if the 49ers are going to win, they're going to have their, their linebackers between Greenlaw and Fred Warner be able to put a lid on Kelsey's effectiveness and slow down Pacheco to the point where he's got 65 yards or something like that. And Travis Kelsey has eight targets, three receptions for 35 yards, like that kind of game. And then the 49ers offense is able to stay on rhythm. So I think it's like Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw versus Travis Kelsey. And then Brock Purdy versus the blitzes and pressures that the 49ers are going to, or excuse me, that the chiefs are going to bring whoever wins those two matchups wins the game. And what, what's going to happen? Who ducking knows? Kind of like we talked about with Baylor um, and how, you know, they, they ran a zone versus Iowa state. It's good for Iowa state come later in the season. I think the Ravens played against the Niners about as well as they could. And Brock was frazzled. And mm-hmm. I think that's probably a learning lesson as well, too. And I'm, I'm sure the chiefs are probably watching that film thinking, okay, we're going to do some of this stuff because it worked really well for them. I think the biggest thing though for the Niners, is they can't, I say this, but they got down big last game, but they, they can't get down because the, the, the Mahomes, the, you can't get down to no, Mahomes. And the chiefs defense is better than the lions. Um, but I think, I think the Niners need to come out and, and score in the first possession, whether it's a, a field goal or a touchdown. Kansas City's done that every single game in the playoffs. You know, they that? have no, they've scored, wow. they scored on their opening drive every single game in the playoffs. And I think the three games prior to that. So I think there's the seven games in a row where they've scored on their first possession. Uh, prop bet for you. Will Taylor Swift cry? The, mm. Either way, either way. Oh boy, Aiden. She's my bet for Super Bowl MVP. <laughs> Even if the 49ers win MVP, Taylor Swift, come on down. Come on down. She'll be MVP in like the amount of revenue she probably brings in. Boy, it's true. How many times do you think they show her? Over, under, seven times? Mm. Over. Uh, are, are you including see, the pregame show? Okay, yeah. Are we, yeah, okay. pregame, postgame, I pre, think. Pregame, postgame, way over. Ooh. Way over. But are we during, from, from, from kickoff off. to final whistle or to final bell uh i'm gonna take the under unless unless travis kelsey has like 12 receptions for 145 yards and three touchdowns yeah, in which case they're gonna cut to her they're gonna show her pretty much every time he makes a big play yeah if like he gets if it's a seven four, yard game yeah four like yard catch on second yeah. down that they're not really gonna cut up but if he yeah. makes one of his like travis kelsey isms where yeah. he like breaks off a route catches one over the oh, his shoulder does like a weird deer leg juke of a safety for 35 yards Hundred percent, they're going to cut up to T. Swift to the box, but I'm going to take the under from kickoff to finish of seven or seven and a half. I'll go six and a half. Six and a half. Oh, okay. I, I'm going to go take over the on six and a half. I'll ta- I'll I think take, if it was seven and a half. I would have gone under. I'll take the I'll take the under on six and a half. I'll take the over from kickoff to end of game. And does she cry? Yes. She'll yes. Cry. Okay. Yes. Uh, define. Also, we need to define crying. Like we're talking like welled up, like tears in eyes. Does that count? I need to see. Or does it actually have tear I need to come see down? Either a tear down or a wipe away. Okay. Okay. I think we're gonna wipe away. I think we're gonna. Yep. She she cried at the show that I went to. No big deal. Okay. It's pretty cool. I saw you in the crowd and was like, uh, Aiden. Well, yeah. It's before Travis. Play groupie. Corvaca, I, I have that effect. Uh, I, yeah. I think yes in the cry. 
under six and a half. But if we're including pre and post game, Way set over. that number at 15 and a half and I'd still take the over. Yeah. Um, I know our, obviously our, our audio listeners can't see it, but I'm wearing my save the bees or die shirt. Um, side tangent and you can wrap up. I started my B class last, That's uh, nice. last Thursday. Make it honey. Yeah. So Mahoney honey. Yep. Mahoney bees. Mahoney bees. Give him a follow on you Instagram. M A H O N E Y. There's honey in the name. Yeah. Mahoney. You get it. There's honey in the name. Mahoney bees on Instagram. Just start my journey. So I start my six week class in Ankeny every Thursday from six to eight. I want that. It's great, man. So there's going to be yeah, Mahoney honey at the, uh, at the end of this year. Might make some mead. Might Ooh. make some different stuff with Ooh. it. Yeah. So. Ew. I know Williams is basically like, kill all the bees you can, pesticides, kill them bitches, but no. I heard him say that once. I know it. Word so, for word. Word for word. Yeah. Even the same tone. Yeah. So that's why, you know, when I see Chris on Wednesday, uh, I'm putting him in a headlock. Wrestle him to the floor. He's going to be talking at this uh, this We Will event. Wrestle his ass to the ground. No, I'm just kidding. But um, yeah, bees are crucial, man. All right. That's all I've got. So do uh, you have anything for... No. Uh, we got, uh, we're meeting this week to re-up for our DMPS thing. We're going to re-up that uh, starting March 25th. So if you enjoyed this one, for those that listen, uh, sign back up for March 25th. If not, and you didn't get a chance to get to this one, next one is going to be starting, uh, not sure exactly the dates. We're still talking through those. Uh, but the next session of DMPS, which is free, again, free to you as a student, as an athlete, uh, or you or, or your kid, elementary or junior high, free for you, uh, starting March 25th-ish. One of those days. More more details coming. There we go. Sweet. Well, thank you to all of our loyal listeners who are still listening. And as always, remember, adopt, don't shop.